Hi there, I'm Imlin Miles Manning, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place where you can come for your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation to not only experience the success in those areas yourself, but to help others in our community achieve greatness as well. I'm super happy to get on with the show, so let's get going. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, president and founder of Gen Next Wealth, an investment and financial planning firm located in the Central Valley. Today, we are going to be joined with Dr. Kelly Burton. She's a political scientist, serial entrepreneur, change agent, and social critic. Kelly is a modern-day Renaissance woman who leads with passion, purpose, and vision. She's the founder of the Nexus Research Group, a social impact firm that works with foundations and large-scale nonprofits to help them catalyze change in local communities. Kelly is also the founder of Bodyology, a tech-based apparel company dedicated to creating clothing for active women on the go. Her newest venture is the Founders of Color, a digital platform committed to helping minority entrepreneurs grow and scale their businesses. Today, the Founders of Color has more than 4,200 members and is in 42 states. Kelly, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Emlyn. I appreciate it. So as I usually do, I dedicate a little time to the people that I'm going to have on the show. And in my searching, you know, internet stocking, I just call it what it is, in my, <laughs> through your LinkedIn and all the stuff that you're doing. I, I, I was, it was funny because I was, you know, before we even got on, I asked you, so when do you sleep? Like, I don't know when you have time to sleep, but thank you for the work that you're doing. And I'm excited. I think uh, our guests are going to be in for a treat with some of the things that you're doing in for the minority entrepreneurs. So if you could start by just giving us a little background of yourself and telling us a little bit more about Dr. Burton. Yeah, sure. Well, again, thank you so much for having me on. I always love talking about issues related to people of color and entrepreneurs of color and closing the wealth gap. So I love the whole concept of your podcast, and I'm happy to be here. So a little background on me. I'm a Jersey girl, originally from Camden, New Jersey, which if anybody knows anything about the Northeast, it's the hood. Something <laughs> <laughs> no good. But later moved to the suburbs when I got into my teens and then relocated to Atlanta to attend Clark Atlanta University, then went to graduate school at Emory University and got my Ph.D., 2009, started my consulting firm and started two other businesses since then. Uh, yeah, and the rest is history. I can't sit still. That's my problem, Emlyn. It's that I get plenty of sleep, but when I'm woke, watch out. <laughs> watch out. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I think that that's awesome. And as an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, yeah. as you yeah. said, yeah, it's kind of hard for you to sit still, right? If something's going and it's going good, you want to keep it going. So Tell us a little bit about the Nexus Research Group. Most of our time today is going to be on, on your Founders of Color, but I wanted to hear just a little bit about that Nexus Research Group. Sure, absolutely. So Nexus Research Group is a social impact consulting firm where we work with foundations, nonprofits, and government agencies to help them to design, implement, or evaluate social programming. So what is social programming? Think about the Boys and Girls Club. And if the Boys and Girls Club does an after-school program to serve disadvantaged youth, who don't have anywhere to go between the time they get out of school and the time their parents get home. They would need to submit a grant proposal to get the money. Now, we wouldn't write the grant, but we would help them to actually design the program that is, gets put into the grant. And once they get the grant, we could help them to implement it as well as evaluate and assess its impact. 
And so that's how we work with all sorts of organizations as it relates to social programs. So that example was related to kids, but as you can imagine, there's a lot of good work being done out there by nonprofits and, and we've supported just about everything you can possibly manage from youth development to economic development, community development, uh, juvenile justice, you name it. We probably touched it in some way, shape or form over the last 10 years. Yeah. And I was seeing some of your clients and it's public information, so I can share yeah, that. I'm guessing absolutely. You know, the uh, Atlanta public schools, the city of New Orleans, mm-hmm. uh, the Justice Department, United Way, just to name a few. So it's mm-hmm. it's no small thing that you guys are doing. And, and once again, thank you for the work that you're doing in the community. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So when today, most of our conversation is going to be about the power of entrepreneurship in minority communities. Yeah. You when I'm reading through some of your stuff, I, I just there's there's so many good things that are going on and so many things that we can talk about. But I, I'm, I'm going to kind of get into the first thing that I looked at on your website was this thing called Disrupt This. It was a whole article, a whole like 32 pages, actually. It wasn't an article. It was 32 pages. I read most of them. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about what Disrupt This is all about. Yeah. So it's a report that we put out in the spring of this year, Disrupt This, Why Minority Entrepreneurship is Stuck and What Needs to Happen Next. Uh, and the reason that we wrote the report, it was twofold. Number one, to establish the current state of affairs as it relates to the landscape that minority entrepreneurs have to navigate in order to grow their businesses. And number two, it was to establish the need for an organization like Founders of Color to function as what we call a national hub or intermediary whose primary sole function it is to hold space for this conversation around minority entrepreneurship. Because what happens is that this foundation has a fund dedicated to minority entrepreneurship, and then this organization holds a conference, and this one has a roundtable, but there's no real connectivity. There's no large-scale thought leadership on the future of minority entrepreneurship, and so we want to kind of convene the players create that space and function as the hub, right? So when you see a router or a hub, everybody plugs into the hub. So if you're a minority entrepreneur, you plug into the hub. If you're an investor, you plug into the hub. If you're a private equity firm or you do advisement, uh, financial advisement, you plug into the hub. If you're a corporation or mid-side business and you want diverse suppliers, you plug into the hub. And our function at Founders of Color is to route you efficiently based on the opportunity and the need because there are a lot of challenges that minority entrepreneurs face, but if we had a more efficient ecosystem, we'd be able to deal with those challenges a lot more effectively. So basically, Founders of Color is the liaison, if you will, to connect you with all these other places. You got it. Yep, yep. Because and I think, go ahead. No, that that's primarily it. Yes. And I, you, you had another thought. I don't want. You, I don't want. To, I didn't want to interrupt that. Go ahead and, and continue. Do you? Yeah, sure. But I was also going to say, so our mission at Founders of Color is to close the small business growth gap. So white-led companies generate about 10 times the revenue of Black companies and eight times the revenue of Latino companies. So we believe if we can close that growth gap, we'll ultimately be able to close the wealth gap because there are two drivers of wealth, inheritance and entrepreneurship, right? Mm -hmm. And so Uh, The reason I brought that up is because, yes, we want to function as this liaison connecting entrepreneurs of color to these opportunities and the opportunities to them. But at the same time, we really have to work on 
preparedness and readiness with our entrepreneurs of color. So how do we create a very specific success path for them so that they're able to scale and grow? So when the opportunity presents itself to have an audience with a Fortune 500 company or an investor or a VC, that minority-owned business is ready to take advantage of that opportunity. So it's twofold. We act as this kind of ecosystem player, but on the ground, we're working with entrepreneurs of color to grow and scale their business. So I guess what I'm thinking about right now, the first thing that popped into my mind, and this might be some of the same things that the listeners would be thinking. So at what point would someone, would a minority entrepreneur reach out to founders of color? Because I'm looking at as the li- as you're talking about being a liaison, at what point does it make sense for someone to say, okay, you know what, I'm thinking about doing a business because a lot of people have ideas yep. uh, and don't know where to go and don't know what to do, yep. don't know about business formation. And, and so if you could talk to us a little bit about when is the appropriate time for potential entrepreneur to start looking at something like this? Yep. And so I'd say our sweet spot is the solopreneur. The solopreneur is the person who has no employees. Currently, 95% of Black-owned businesses are solopreneurs, 92% for Latino-owned businesses, and 97% for Black female-owned businesses. So that means if you take 100 Black female small business owners and you line them up down the street, only three out of that 100 will actually have paid employees, W-2 employees, right? So that's wild. But when you think about the people that you know who are entrepreneurs, it's just really them. And so that's our sweet spot. We don't really specialize in helping you start a business. But if you've got a business and your business is making $25,000 a year or you're making $100,000 a year and you have no idea how to to grow, you have no idea how to secure additional clients or customers, you have no retention strategies, you don't have any systems, any processes, you don't have a team, you don't know how to delegate, you don't know how to manage, you have reached the extent of your capacity, but you don't know how to get over that hump. That's the person for which entrepreneurs or which founders of color has been built. Okay. That makes, I mean, that, so that just lays out exactly who you like, what your ideal client is. So it's not someone that's still at an idea stage, but actually has a business running, generating revenue, and now has gotten to, you know, kind of hit the proverbial wall, if you will, and wants to continue to grow. And now Founders of Color is going to come in and be a valuable resource. You got it. Yep. That's because what we found is that there's a programmatic dead zone for those folks. So if you're just getting started, you can go to the SBA or your local SBDC. You can get a score coach and they're going to walk you through. You can do legal Zoom and figure out how you get your operating agreement. So it's pretty straightforward at the early stage. There are resources and there are resources if your business makes $50,000 in monthly reoccurring revenue. You can easily get a loan. You can easily find a fund that's interested in investing in you. Or if you're somewhere between there, like between $25,000 a year and $500,000 a year, it's a huge range. But programmatically, there's very little foundations and nonprofits are not really going to be supporting you because you're not, quote unquote, poor. You know, it's not a charitable event. But at the same time, there are not a whole lot of other services being directed your way because there's the thought that there really is no market. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's it makes complete sense because I think about in, in my firm, we deal with helping people do the financial planning and their investments. And so a lot of times when I'm working with an entrepreneur, which is more times than not, I'm working with entrepreneurs trying to help them on this side, but I don't 
you know, just, just looking for resources for the entrepreneur clients that I have. And I think this is, this is actually something pretty good. Talk to me about the, uh, about the, you had a 21 day challenge to start 2019 for yeah. entrepreneurs. Talk, talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And so we wanted to create like a resource or an opportunity for entrepreneurs of color to get very crystal clear at the beginning of the year about how they would grow their business. And so in January, we did this 21 day challenge where every day we would ask them a very specific question, you know, what's your BHAG? So BHAG is a big, hairy, audacious goal, comes out of Jim Collins' Good to Great. And so what's your big, hairy, audacious goal? You know, what were your lessons that you're carrying for from 2018? All sorts of questions to help them reflect on where their business was and where they wanted to take it. And so if you sign in, and I think maybe 180 people actually opted into the 21-day challenge, and we would post updates in one of two groups, a Slack group and a Facebook group. People could pick whichever one they tended to you know, engage with. And they would have to share with the rest of the group their response from that day. So if you, what's your BHAG? My BHAG is to boom, 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 boom. And we kept a tally every single day and we had a leaderboard. And every day there would be an email showing who was on the leaderboard. And at any given time, we had maybe two dozen people who were actively engaged and posting on a daily basis. But it was just our attempt to get people really focused at the beginning of the year on exactly how this year was going to be different and how they were going to grow and scale their business. And so we got so much fantastic feedback from that people really appreciated it. We had winners that we announced. And so for us, it was an opportunity to add value, but also to get a more intimate understanding of our customers' needs, their pain points, and how we can continue, could continue to, to make a contribution to their journey. Would you care to share any couple of the, the 21 days? Like, is there, is, were there any 20, not, not that there was days that were more important than others, but I think it'd be kind of cool for them, for the listeners to be able to get some insight into what those 21 days entail. Yeah, yeah. So the, I'll, I'll give you one that's off the top of my head, just because it's like the entrepreneur mantra. If you want to scale your business, you've got to learn how to work on your business, not just in your business. Hmm. And many people struggle with that because they are in the weeds of their business every single day. They're placing their orders. They're finishing the projects. They're submitting the invoices. They're returning the emails. And so it's like, you know, when they look up, they're too exhausted to think strategically about their business. And what happens is they're like a hamster on the wheel. We see this with the folks that we're going through this. We have a skill and grow program. It's a three month intensive where we really tackle the fundamentals of business, everything from building your brand to, you know, securing customers and clients, marketing online and offline, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason that it's so valuable is because you are created dedicated, creating dedicated time to work on your business and to crowdsource feedback and to get suggestions and recommendations. And if you can't get to the point where you can create space in your business life to work on it, to think strategically about how you're going to move it forward, chances are you're going to be running standing still. And as I'm looking through this, like to see some of the things that you say, like day four was, did you learn your lesson? And I think that as entrepreneurs, we do a great job of looking forward and projecting on what our goals are or where we want to be, how much money we want to make, the people we want to help. We do a horrible job of looking back. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. 
on the mistakes that we make. Yeah. yeah. And how we can do better. As, and I'll give you an example. There are a couple of things that caused me to start Founders of Color. But one is that I had a failed startup, Bodyology. So you talked about it a little bit in the introduction. Top of 2017, decided to close our online store. And at that time, I was a contributor for the Huffington Post. And I decided I'm going to write a piece on my experience of closing, shutting down my startup. And I think I called it like how to keep your startup out of the graveyard, startup graveyard or something like that. Because, you know, I knew that nine out of 10 startups failed and no one talked about the nine. Everybody just talked about the one that was successful. And so when you fail, having launched and, and tried to grow a startup, you think it's about you and it's not about you. It's about the model. There's something very unnatural about scaling quickly. And you really have to understand the model in order to do it, do it well. And in some ways, failing is almost a rite of passage. And so, you know, if you, but the challenge is if you don't log those lessons learned, and for me coming out of the bodyology experience, I didn't take the time to intimately understand my customer. And so moving forward with Founders of Color, we have kind of taken our time in monetizing but it's because it's incredibly important to me that moving forward, that we have an intimate understanding of our customer so that we can support them in the ways that they deserve. Absolutely. And see, I, I, I love that you being an entrepreneur, like it's one thing to have someone tell you how to run a business. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to have be told by someone that's running a business. <laughs> and, and, and quite frankly, it's even another level to run to have someone tell you about how to run a business on them failing in a yeah. business. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because I think it adds a level of depth, right? You said to write a passage. It, 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 you know that this is how you want things to go and you know how not to do things to make yeah. it not successful. That's, so. that's right. That's right. And what I learned is that with my consultancy, I could probably run it in my sleep. It's 10 years old, still around. We still have clients that we support. I probably wouldn't experience a tremendous amount of failure in that in that because it's, I won't say it's easy, but it, it's rope, you know, after running it for 10 years, I was really challenging myself in launching Bodyology because it was something that I had never done. And so if you aspire to go bigger, drive harder, you know, go faster, it's going to take a lot of experimentation and you're not always going to win. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you're going to fail pretty big. <laughs> Bodyology was a pretty big failure for me. I invested $180,000 of my own money into it because I believed in it. And, you know, it's almost like I got my own personal MBA. <laughs> That's what I chalk it up to. Like that was an investment in myself. It's an investment in the development of my business acumen. You know, it's still paying off in a lot of ways. As we're moving on to the, to the, the my next question is going to be about the wealth gap, but you said that there's two ways to help decrease the wealth gap. And it's, you said, inheritance and entrepreneurship. Now we know that the wealth gap is a big topic. Uh, Inheritance for minorities isn't a big option. (laughs) There's not a lot. There's not a lot for us. You can't give something if you don't have it. So inheritance usually just, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a small percentage, but we'll just say that's not existing. So can we talk about how to attack the wealth gap via entrepreneurship? Yeah, absolutely. And so in Disrupt This, we close out by talking about the fact that we are at a 
crossroads, right? We are at a crossroads where entrepreneurship could serve to close the wealth gap in a couple of generations, or it can serve to exacerbate it in a couple of generations. The power of entrepreneurship is it will enable you to kind of leapfrog, right? If you can build a viable, successful, sustainable business, doesn't have to be a tech company. You can have a seven-figure you know, service business. You can have a, an eight-figure service business or a product business. Every, you know, There's this focus on unicorns. Unicorns are mystical, magical creatures that no one has ever seen. So, you know, we, we stay away from that. We focus on building thoroughbreds, you know, high performance businesses that we can deploy in cities across the country, communities across the country. And so this crossroads is we can train entrepreneurs of color to grow and scale businesses and we can effectively close the wealth gap in a couple of generations. Or we cannot, right? We can, you know, allow the current state of affairs to continue to progress and entrepreneurship will serve to exacerbate the wealth gap. Because what I see is uh, folks are coming out of corporate America in droves, chasing the American dream of entrepreneurship. They're leaving their six-figure salary, $120,000 a year plus benefits. They're jumping out into entrepreneurship with a few clients in their pocket in a dream. And six months in, they burn through those clients and they're living off their credit cards, right? Trying to maintain the exact same lifestyle they did when they were working for Procter & Gamble or Home Depot or UPS or whoever, because they thought that because they were a good marketer, that they could scale a marketing business, not understand that marketing is just one function in a business which has many functions. And if you don't learn all of those functions, chances are your ability to scale are going to be highly limited. And so that's what we're trying to get folks under, to understand. That's the drumbeat that we, you know, when I get on my soapbox and I'm crying in the wilderness, trying to get these foundations and national organizations to pay attention, oftentimes a lot of energy and focus and resources being directed to the wrong stuff. It's like, we need to get serious about teaching folks how to build and scale businesses, or we are going to be in a world of hurt. It's so true. Like what you're saying is like, so, you know, many of my entrepreneur clients will come in and they've been running business for you know, a couple of years and they don't understand how the taxes work in the business. They just know that they're paying them. They might not be doing their quarterly taxes. Yeah. Uh, things that we see is I, I've seen some business owners that have run successful businesses and they don't even have business formation. They're still doing a, you know, they're still running everything on their schedule C and they don't even have. Ooh. And so when we sit down and we talk about that, I think that, you know, the tax code is something that helps with the wealth that helps increase the wealth. Absolutely. Not understanding Absolutely. taxes. And yeah. And, and I think that's something that you, that's not something that minorities are talking about. Most of the entrepreneurs that we have that are minorities are first generation entrepreneurs. Right. As well yeah. as being the first generation that probably graduated from college. This is me. Yeah. I'm describing. Yes. First yeah. generation graduated from college. First generation to actually go out and say, you know, my family thought I was crazy when I was like, I'm going to run my own business. They're like, yeah. why would you do that? Go get a job. Right. <laughs> someone else. Right. And, right. and all the other listeners that are hearing this, you know, it's like, no, I don't want a job. I don't work, want to work for someone else. I have a great idea and right. I know I can make this profitable, but there's those challenges that we have in between, you know, yes. there and being successful. W what is the opportunity for this, for minorities? What What is the real opportunity out there? Yes. So, you know, a lot of folks 
talk about the fact that there is discrimination. And, you know, I did this talk in Tampa a couple of years ago where I was talking about bodyology. And because bodyology was a product-based business, there's this push to make me the face of it. And I was very resistant because I believe that if I became the face of my business, that people would, it would become, it would be urbanized, right? It would be like, oh, that's a Black person's business. So surely that product is for Black people. Well, no, it's a product for everybody. And I don't want to be pulled into that, into that pigeon, pigeon health into that. And so as I'm doing this talk, it was a mixed room of women, you know, women from all sorts of backgrounds. And as I'm saying, I didn't want to attach my face to my business. Folks in the room were like, the black people were like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. And the white women were like, (gasps) (laughs) like they couldn't believe it. They were like, oh my God, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. We're like, "Uh, yeah, that's a thing. So yes, discrimination is real. And we don't face it just from white folks and others. We face it from our own people because they don't, they, they carry the same stereotypes around black and brown businesses as, as other folks do. And so yes, discrimination is real, but this digital space, because you can launch a business in the digital space. And if you understand what you're doing, no one has to ever know what color you are. There are so many ways to short circuit people's biases if we get intentional about it. So I will tell folks all day, we don't focus just on tech businesses. Probably 15% of the businesses that are affiliated with founders of color would consider themselves tech businesses. But we are all about getting tech enabled because enabling your, your business with technology could be a major differentiator for you. And so that's just one example of a leverage point But because we're not having like broader conversations about how we strategically move our folks forward, we can't even talk about that. Like there's all this discussion around the future of work and that in 20 years, X percentage of the jobs are going to go away, that people are opting towards freelancers. What does that mean for minority entrepreneurship? Like it's quite possible we look up and 50% of black and brown folks are entrepreneurs, are small business owners in 25 years. Why aren't we talking about that? And so, yes, the opportunity is tremendous. But if we don't get focused, just like everything else, we're going to be watching that, the back end of that wave, um, the, the back end of that trend, if we don't, if we don't get focused. Like the, the opportunity, and I think thinking outside of the box, right, and, and for your type of business, whatever it is, I, I have a lot of different people that, you know, there's a lot of different entrepreneurs out there, a lot of different types of businesses and ideas that they get into. But just being able to harness that technological, like technology that's available to you to run yep. your business more efficiently and yep. harnessing some of the platforms that we have out there, like social media is a huge deal right now. Yep. And being able to grow your audience, give them relevant content, and it doesn't matter what type of business it is. People want to have information in this. We, we always talk about what ha- what do we do before Google? I was talking to someone <laughs> Before Only Google. God knows. Like I, I like I mean I, I feel sorry for the Encyclopedia Britannica guy that used to <laughs> the door, right? Like, he, like if you want to someone the <laughs> So there's a few of those and, and you have like if you, you went to someone's house and, and it was like, oh, they have the Encyclopedia Britannica, they must be smart. Now yeah, they, smart. they must got money. Yeah. We had to, we had to get it on a plan where we got one letter every month. And so we had paid it off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we have this opportunity because technology is at our fingertips and we have resources. We have places like yourself amongst other things. Like you mentioned the SBA and you talked about score. 
there's all kinds of local organizations. You have your local chamber of commerce that can help out. There's no excuse for someone that wants to have a business not to have a business. That's right. That's right. So yeah. there, there is a tremendous opportunity, but I want to talk about some of the challenges that entrepreneur, minority entrepreneurs face. What are some of the challenges that they face? Yeah, for sure. And so the, the, the challenge that we often hear about is the lack of access to capital. And it's a real one, right? It's a real one. You were mentioning how you're the first in your family to graduate from college. Um, and many of us first generation college. And that puts a tremendous weight on that person. I have a, on my cell phone, four payment apps for the people. You got cash app, you got Venmo, you got to send it to you to the bank, right? Because uh, oftentimes if you're the first out, you're, you're responsible for a lot. Um, and so, you know, the challenges are real in terms of being a care provider in their family, but also beyond their family. So accessing capital, but also lack of access to information. This is a hard conversation to have because at Founders of Color, we're for-profit and we do paid programming. But I've also been in the nonprofit space for a very long time. And what I've come to find is we have this fixation on free. Fixation on free. Is it free? Is it free? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone into spaces that are focused on business development, personal development, and they're high ticket price. But I get in there and it's like, you know, three chocolate drops and a couple mochas, right? Mm -hmm. And a room full of oil. Because mm -hmm. they place a premium on accessing spaces and rooms that will help them to accelerate what they're doing. They're not going to the free stuff because they, are, they know that the free stuff is not going to enable them to accelerate and, catap and catapult them to where they want to be. And so we go to the free networking events and then we're mad because it's just a whole bunch of people passing around cards. But then if there's a, you know, a hundred dollars to get into this event, it's like, oh, $100, what am I going to get? It's like, ah, come on. We have to get past that because I know my folks, we spend money on what we spent, what it's been money on, you know? They don't think twice about going to Jamaica on vacation. They don't think twice about going to this next nice restaurant. Me personally, I like to eat. You know, I like to eat. That's what I like to do. And if I pay $100 <laughs> on a meal and a, and a very nice bottle of wine, doggone it, that's what I'm going to do. But at the same time, I invest in myself. I invest in me personally. I invest in my businesses because I want to see a return on investment in terms of my leadership and business acumen, but also in terms of my business is its ability to thrive. And so, yes, lack of access to capital, but also lack of access to information. And finally, challenges around mindset, uh, money blocks that are inherited, like generational curses associated with wealth creation that we really need to wrestle with. I mean, I deal with my money blocks all the time because when you get to a new level of money that you've never seen, all sorts of questions around worthiness start to come up. Like, can I really charge for this? Should I really, is that, what are, what are other people charging? When you know you bring the value. So you really have to reorient your mind around what value am I bringing? What problem am I solving? How am I making this person's life better? They're, they're a little lighter. And really lean into that so we can, you know, intentionally just address these blocks we have around money. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult for us to progress. Wow. So well stated. I, yes, yes, I agree. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't even have anything to add. I, I, was, I, I usually try to add something. I don't have nothing else to say. We're going to, you answered that thoroughly. 
so that gets me in trouble, but I feel that it needs to be said. We've got to advance. We've got to evolve in our thinking around these things. We have to, because, you know, we're eating dust. <laughs> Just choking on it. <laughs> like we got to, we got to put the jets on. Absolutely. It's just, it just has to be done. Like you, you talked about the Jamaica trip. I was like, oh, whoa, whoa. We, we just went to Jamaica last month. I was like, she's looking at something. She see a picture. But, um, but I, I think that when you look at things that you want to spend money on, you want this business to generate income, but you don't want to spend money on the business. Yes, brother. Speak, preach. Yes, that's so, it. One of the things that you talked about, I'm just, I'm just going to bring it up. I'm not going to, we don't have to spend time on it. I just want to say one of the things you said was invest in your business. Yes. That yes. was one of the, that was one of the 21 tips. Was. Yes. Invest yes. in your business. And and so we have, we'll invest in other things, but we won't yeah. spend that time. Like you said, there's a difference between working in your business, working on your business. Yeah, that's exactly right. Take that step back and put some money into your business. That's right. That's right. And we walk through the distinction between a cost and an investment. Like we think because we funnel money into our business, that that's an investment. No, that's a cost associated with the operating of your business. It's like having a house and say, well, I've paid the mortgage and the utilities for the last five years. Yeah, but have you, you know, fixed that hole in the roof? Or, you know, have you addressed the landscaping? Or, you know, have you added any additions to your house so that when you sell it, it increases the value? No, you haven't. And so it's the same thing with your business. Just because you're funneling money into your business, that does not mean that you are investing in your business. An investment is what's going to bring in additional additional clients, additional customers, additional revenue, not the cost that you're funneling into your business for it to operate day to day. There's a distinction. Absolutely. The cost of doing business and the investment in your business. There you go. There you go. As we, you know, the, the mission of the podcast is to change the complexion of wealth. In this part of the the interview, I like to ask questions about you personally. So what motivates you and inspires you to grow? Yeah. So number one, I'm just hardwired for curiosity. I mean, so we were talking about like the world book. I would, when I was a kid, I would just read through the encyclopedia because I wanted to learn. So that's something I can't even really take credit for. I'm a voracious reader. You know, if you could see me, I'm in my office now and I have a bookcase, which is my favorite thing in my house. We had a custom built because we were talking about what you place value on. I place value on my books. Now, if you look at my closet, it's a disaster because I don't care anything about that. You know, <laughs> some people, you know, one of my little guilty pleasures is I, I watch Housewives of Atlanta. And they have these huge sprawling closet with all their shoes. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I could have like that for my books. Like, oh, that's like my dream house. There's a library like in Beauty and the Beast where I'm just surrounded by books. So um, that's number one. I'm super curious. Uh, and now because I'm in this business domain, in terms of business books, I'm always trying to kind of like curate best practice so that we can deploy it in our, the services that we uh, put out for our members. So I've gone deep on business books over the course of the last two years. So just a deep curiosity and a desire to make a difference. I mean, as long as I can remember what I wanted to be changed every couple of years, but at the heart of that was a deep desire to make a difference, whatever that, whatever that means at whatever iteration of my life where I am. Do you believe that education plays a big part in wealth building? I would say the the data tells us no. Mm -hmm. The data tells us no because 
people, black and brown folks who get higher education, there's still a tremendous wealth disparity, right? And we talk about it in terms of the pay gap and all these things. And so education is not a panacea for black and brown folks. It's just not, it's just a start, really, to be honest with you. It's just a start. Uh, and I tell folks, and I, I have this conversation with a lot of my friends who have young people who are going into these Ivy League universities and deciding, mom, I've done a year and I'm going to drop out and do a startup. And it's like, Brett can do that. You can't do that, Leroy. Like, no, (laughs) you need to go back to school. You need to get all four of those years. Because Brett can show up and say, I did a year at Stanford and then I launched my startup and, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of backslapping. But Raheem needs to come with all that pedigree. Like all of it, and then some. Like I'm sitting here, my Emory degree is back here, my Clark. And what is it? Legitimacy in the eyes of other people it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't ask people to call me Doctor Burton. I don't care nothing about that. And the Doctor Burton shows up in my student loan payment that I they, they get every month, and I'm like, oh god, they could kept that. But it's legitimacy in a world that is seeking that from Black and Brown folk. I will say, for legitimacy's sake, yes. But you need to understand that just just the first step in your, you know, in your personal, in your professional journey. Information is more important than education, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Absolutely. And as we wrap up here, what would be your words of advice to our listeners? I I usually, I said one piece of advice, but every time I say that, they're like, I don't have one. I need at least two. So I'll just say, what, so I'll say, what, what, what is your, what is some pieces of advice that you can offer to our listeners? Yeah. So I'd say we tackle the first one, which would be investing yourself, investing yourself, invest in your business, get serious about it, carve out the space in your life to work on your business, not in your business, to invest in yourself, in your business. Okay. So that's the first. So she said, I at least get two. And uh, I really encourage people to do their own work. You know, do your own work, practice self-awareness because your business is a mirror into who you are. And so if there are ways that your business is janky, it's probably a reflection of the things that you need to work on in your, in your personal life. And so I'll give you an example. I realized that I was not a good manager. And many entrepreneurs are not good managers and they'll hire people and they'll say, well, that person didn't last. I should have known. I just should have done it myself. You know, and it's like when you go through three or four, it's probably not them. It's probably you. (laughs) It's probably you. And the fact that you think that just because you think it's common sense, just because it's common sense to you, make it common sense to everybody else. That's not true. And so there are all sorts of ways that I have tried to improve as a manager because I realized that our operation is scaling. And if I want us to be successful, I really have to be a better leader. And so if you're an entrepreneur, really use your business as an opportunity to be self-aware and to be self-reflective because your business can only go as far as you are personally, mentally, psychologically equipped to take it. Love it. That's that. Yeah. Well said. said. So, So I always like to give our guests an opportunity to share some of their social media handles so that people that want to get more of Kelly Burton can get more of Kelly Burton. So where, where can the listeners find Kelly? 
Well, thank you, Emlyn. Uh, foundersofcolor.org, www.foundersofcolor.org. And definitely sign up for our newsletter. We're doing some exciting stuff this fall. We're really, really, we're gearing up to go. So you'll want to make sure that you opt in in the next week or so. And I am Kelly Burton on social, my personal and Founders of Color at Founders of Color. That's our uh, FOC handle for all social media. You can definitely find me at LinkedIn. That's kind of where I kick it. That's where I hang out. That's my favorite social media platform. Um, and so that's just Kelly Burton. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today and giving us your valuable insight into minority entrepreneurship. I think that the listeners are going to be very, very blessed by this. And I can't thank you enough for the work that you're doing and the opportunities that you're making towards your opening for minority entrepreneurs. So thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you, Emily. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and to be supported by others just like you. And again, we're super happy to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it cannot be completely your one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But guess what? If you have any questions, or maybe you just like to chat, please reach out to me directly at imlin at minoritymoney.com so that we can get to know each other there. Thanks for being here, and we're signing off.